0: Hello and welcome to the God's Story Podcast, I'm Brent Siddle and our very special guest on the show this time is Dr. Jamie Morgan, who's just published a new book with Bridge Logos Publishers called Her Calling, A Woman's Guide to Fulfilling Her God-Given Destiny. Dr. Jamie Morgan is an ordained minister who has been in ministry for decades as a senior pastor, teacher of the word, evangelist, revivalist, reformer, conference speaker, prophetic voice, podcaster, TV show host and mentor. How do you find time to do all this? Dr. Jamie I Dr. Jamie is also the founder of Trailblazer Mentoring Network, a mentoring movement in ministry. From her many years of ministry experience, she inspires, encourages, and challenges women in ministry to walk in the fullness of their callings. And Dr. Morgan joins me now from the States. Hi to you.
1: Hi, Brent. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It is truly an honor. Thank you.
0: No, the honor is is, is mine, uh, is ours. And I do apologize. My co-host, Rito, is not able to be with us today. Something to do with having five boys, I think, in a church he's supposed to be running. But anyway, <laughs> this is a fabulous book. We've just been chatting beforehand. there is so much wonderful advice in here for both men and women, I must say. But why are most women, in your view, not walking in their calling?
1: It's because of lack of support primarily. As as we know, there are a lot of churches, denominations that have doctrines written right within the bylaws of their churches, prohibiting women from answering their call. And I'm going to add to that, even churches that, or denominations, I should say, that don't have that written doctrine that maybe say, we allow, we encourage women to answer their call and get ordained and stand behind the pulpit. Sometimes it's not done in practice. And, uh, you know, Brent, mentors for men in ministry are scarce, but for women in ministry, oh yeah, almost, almost non-existent. Mm. And without support and encouragement and inspiration and being challenged um, there's no one there to help her navigate the ropes of being a woman in ministry. Yes.
0: Yeah, so why is mentoring women or anyone in ministry, for that matter, so important, do you think?
1: Yeah, it's important because the essence of it is discipleship. You know, we could say another word for mentor is discipler. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me this question in regard to mentoring, in helping wrap their heads around what mentoring is. What is the difference between a counselor, a coach, and a mentor? And I always use the example of falling into a ditch. So I'll say this, uh, a counselor, when you see a counselor, they will say, wow, I see that you just fell into a ditch and that you're in pain. We need to get you healed from that pain. A coach will say, okay, what I hear you telling me is that you see a possible ditch ahead. Let's work on a 12-step strategy in order to avoid that ditch. But a mentor says this, I see a ditch ahead that you can't see. And you need to know it's there because if you fall into the ditch, it's going to cost you great pain and time, wasted time. So let me tell you about the time that I fell into a ditch or that I almost fell into a ditch and how God got me out of the ditch, set me on solid ground so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that I have.
0: The book is often raw and it's certainly honest, um, and it's, it's fascinating to actually read an honest depiction of ministry. You deal with things I wished, I wished I'd been told about when I was training for ministry. But in what ways, I wonder, have you you personally experienced almost every conceivable ministry pain in your ministry? Those are your words, I think, almost every conceivable ministry pain. How have you personally experienced almost every conceivable ministry pain in your time in ministry?
1: Yeah, they are, they are varied. First of all, I want to say that the joy of ministry far surpasses the pain, yet there is pain. And everything from when you're a woman in ministry constantly having to defend that you are called to the ministry, that you're not committing sin because you're a woman teaching or preaching. So there's that constant. And then there is the pain. For both men and women of what I call the pain of soldiering on, meaning that, you know, you're going through something, maybe in your personal family, maybe you're in your church, and you still have to get up behind the pulpit, put a smile on your face, and like everything's okay. There's pain in that because eventually you have to deal with that issue. And then there are things like betrayals. And there are people that you thought would be there for you and aren't. There are situations where in the morning you receive a text message that says, Pastor, what would I do without you? You saved my life. And then by nightfall, because of one decision that you make... I'm leaving the church, and I never want to see you again. So there's that, like up and down, almost Brent. Like you, even the pain of waiting for the other shoe to drop, as we would say in America. Like, okay, what's going to happen next? What what fire do I have to put out? And so all of it, and and more, create pain.
0: Yes, don't I know it. <laughs> I can relate to what you're saying. I really can. But how does God use the pain, though? Let's try and turn it around. We'll come on and talk about this because you and I were talking before the interview started and we, we talked about um, why, why on earth does the church tolerate this sort of thing. But anyway, how does God use our pain in ministry to develop us, do you think?
1: Yeah, so it's for my my experience is that it's part of the refiner's fire. So if you think about it, what is our ultimate goal? As Christians, even setting aside the fact we're ministers, as Christians, the ultimate goal is to look like Christ, is to become more and more like our Savior. And so if we look at every person that crosses our path, even if, They are what I call porcupines in the spirit. Um, And every situation that God allows in our lives to make us more like Christ, then you know what? It's it's a win-win because that truly is our ultimate goal. And it really isn't until we go through some stuff. And we choose to walk in love, even when we have every opportunity not to. And we choose to walk in joy, even though everything within us is not feeling a bit of joy. We choose to walk uh, in patience and long-suffering. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and we look more and more like Jesus. I mean, we're all these works in progress until we take our last breath. But um, if we look at all the situations, the people, the problems— as an opportunity to look more like Jesus. It's worth he he Jesus is worth it all. Do
0: pastors tolerate far too much abuse in ministry? Do you think?
1: Yes. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. A resounding yes. It's interesting Brent because we hear a lot about abuse coming from the pulpit to the people. And I'm not that's that's real. I'm not saying that's not real. That's that that's very real. But equally as real is abuse coming from the pews to the pulpit. Yes, I, it's, there's something wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you know I say it? It would never be tolerated in any other in any other organisation. And any other organisation I've worked in, I wouldn't. I've been at meetings where people have just been openly abusing. The pastor, the poor old pastor, he or she is just trying to do their job. You know, it's just outrageous. I yes. mean, I've been quite outraged yes. over the years. Anyway, that's yes. all by the by. This is not about uh, not about dealing, dealing with this. Well, it is. It's part of it. But we better come on and get back to your book. Now, you talk about the pregnancy stage of ministry. What's the pregnancy stage of ministry?
1: So um, if you're, for those that are listening, that are women, that have had babies, when you find out you're pregnant, you're not showing, as we would say, you don't look pregnant. And when I was, I was, I became a Christian, Brent, I had been a raging alcoholic. And I was riddled with panic attacks, anxiety attacks, depressed. So I become a Christian, and I get delivered from all that but I certainly didn't look like ministry material. Like nobody looked at me and go, wow, she's going to be a minister. No, that wasn't the first thought that came to your mind. There was so much work that had to be done in me. And I was pregnant with the call of God, meaning I knew I was called, but nobody could tell from the outside. It was years of uh, developing a servant's heart and the character of Christ and learning to walk in love and learning how to pray and warfare in the spirit and all the things that is re- that we have that we do as Christians as well as in the ministry that it maybe maybe I started looking like I was pregnant but in the beginning nobody could tell
0: why is it important to forget the past
1: oh it is crucial to rip off the rearview mirror because we all have a past listen i got saved at 26 I, I, now, now I'm a leader in the body of Christ. Then I was a leader sinner for for the first 26 years of my life. Now I lead people. I spur them on to, to, to good works in Christ. Then I was spurring them on to, to sin. Nonetheless, we all have a past and listen, we all have failures and flops and we've started things that we haven't finished and we have weaknesses and idiosyncrasies and, we all have it, and so in order to move forward in our call, we've got to rip off that rearview mirror. Mm.
0: You write, I, I, I love the chapters on, um, on on all of this, on calling and and so forth. So much material that I've I've not dealt with often in, in other publications, I've been in other books. I've got to say, but you write about it. It's important for us to identify our passions it's important for us to know what makes us angry and it's important to know what makes us cry. Now, why do you say that?
1: Yeah, so what um, our passions are, like, like let's say what we love to do, points can can be a signpost to what we are called to do. So um, identifying our passions, what do I love to do? Um, uh, can reveal our uniqueness. It can re- it, it differentiates me from you. It differentiates you from the next person. Um, what makes me angry, anger is also a passion. It, it it signals perhaps something we're called to correct. Think about the righteous anger that Jesus had when he overturned the money changers' tables in the temple. You know, it was something Jesus is called to confront and something he was called to correct. And what makes me cry? Sorrow can reveal sometimes what we're called to heal, what grieves us. Think about Nehemiah. What was Nehemiah's call? Encounter to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It was when he was going through his beloved Jerusalem, and it was in ruins, and he was grieved, and that's how he knew what he was called to do. He was called to rebuild that had been that which had been destroyed.
0: Mm. Here's one uh, a subject dear to my heart. Why is waiting? Now, waiting is something that um, a number of us have had to do a great deal of during the years. Why? Why is, why is waiting for God, oh, if you know the <clears throat> Samuel Beckett play, I shouldn't say that, but why is waiting in ministry so, or in life, so difficult?
1: Yeah, because it seems the opposite of doing. Like we want to do, 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 God, when, God, when, God, how, God, how, God, what is going to look like? And waiting seems like we're not accomplishing anything. But I'm telling you, when you wait, um, in, in it is a. it's a season of preparation. I call it the desert school of leadership, the desert school of ministry. It's in the desert that we thirst. When we thirst, we seek water. We seek water, we find water. Um, God molds and shapes us in the howling winds and the, 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 the lack of something to quench our thirst. And it's in the waiting that God, lops off our rough edges and molds and shapes us. And, and uh, it's in the waiting. And But that doesn't mean that in the waiting, you don't do anything. You know, one of my favorite restaurants, the waiters, they're waiting, they're watching and waiting to see when you want to order your meal. They'll watch and wait to see if you drop your fork, they run over and here, here's a new fork, ma'am. They watch. They really so, do that in so New Zealand
0: the, restaurants. They really do that in New Zealand restaurants. I'm is, sure they in, do in America. America.
1: <laughs> in America, it's five star uh, restaurants uh, that. Uh, service they, in
0: America. Service in America is phenomenal. I know. I've been there.
1: <laughs> but in a five star restaurant in America, there's one waiter assigned to one table. Yes. Yeah, and so they're watched literally in the corner, away from you, away from the table, watching. They're waiting. But they're watching and immediately they come to your rescue if you need them. And so in that waiting, that doesn't mean there's things that God won't have you do, but it's 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 part of that refiner's fire.
0: Mm. Does God have a time for each and every one of us in ministry?
1: He does. There is that divine timeline he has for each one of us, that Kairos moment, you know, chronos in the Greek is that. Um, what chronological time? What time is it? But that Kairos moment is that divine time, the appointed time. I had a call for ministry cl- right after I was uh, became a Christian at twenty six. I became a pastor of a church at forty three. Now, you know, I thought I was ready way before God thought I was ready. Yeah, and so I had to wait on God for His timing.
0: I think that's about the time I um did my first parish ministry as well i was well into my 40s certainly one of the fascinating areas of your book you i mean you write about us being stopped or stopping ourselves i think you write about don't you we stop ourselves sometimes from achieving our ministry potential now tell us about that how how can we stop ourselves from achieving our potential in ministry
1: yeah well one of those things is what we think like so many people, women that I mentor, I'm so unworthy. Well, we're all unworthy. All of our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. It's Jesus that's worthy and he gives us his worth. And so it's thinking about what you're thinking about and not letting any old thought ruminate in our minds. That's one of the ways that we can stop our potential. The other ways is self-sabotage. I have seen this over and over again. Let's say someone is waiting. They're waiting for God to open a ministry door. And one day he does. Bam, that door flies wide open. And you're standing at the threshold of the door. And instead of running as fast as you can with all gusto through that open door, You're like, I don't know. Do I have it? I don't know. And either you cling on to the doorpost and not enter at all, or you're tentatively walking through that door. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's interesting, Brett, because we think we're ready long before God does. But then when God says, you're ready, we're like, am I ready? I don't know. Do I have it? No, you don't have it. I don't have it. None of us have it. Jesus does, and he does it through us. So it's important that we are cognizant that we can sabotage ourselves.
0: Yes. And generally, when he does open a door, he works very, very fast. I mean, you can be waiting for years, in in my experience, and then suddenly the door opens and you're rushing to keep up with him. um, Suddenly.
1: Absolutely. There was Suddenly, suddenly. And you're yep. like, I oh, yep. you thought I was ready. I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. Now, how do we deal with attacks and with criticism in ministry for both women and men, attacks and criticism? Because your book's very helpful in this area.
1: I would say the number one way that I deal with attacks is I don't listen to them. I. It's important for me that I have zero fear of man see when we fear man their opinions very man or woman you know their opinions very much matter to me if i fear man what they think what they're saying their criticism of me i endeavor to have 100% fear of the lord i don't mean like i'm afraid of god i mean the reverence and awe he is god and that i live to please him I perform for an audience of one and that's God. And if he's pleased, then that's it. For years, let me tell you, I had to be delivered of people pleasing. I was very much addicted to pleasing people and it is a bondage. And so I really every day try to live my life so that God is pleased. And if if you're always going to have as the kids say today the haters, Always. The enemy will make sure of it. Like you're always going to have them, you know, but you can't let it bother you. You have to, you have to keep your heart soft and your your and you have to bounce off your skin like Teflon. Boing! Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. And keep moving forward.
0: And the anonymous letter that arrives through your letterbox, do you have letterboxes in America? I suspect you do. The, What's your advice about the anonymous letter? We've all had them. Oh,
1: yeah. The famous anonymous letter that almost every minister of the gospel receives at least once and probably several times in their ministry. If someone does not have the courage to sign their name, if you get an anonymous email, an anonymous letter, it goes in what I call the Rubbermaid file, which in America, Rubbermaid makes trash cans. <laughs> it goes, all anonymous letters don't get read and don't get heated to or considered, boing, crumpled up and thrown right into that Rubbermaid file.
0: Very good advice. Uh, friends, having friends in ministry, very important. Why is it important to have friends in ministry?
1: It's important because ministry can be lonely. And you have to have your person like you have to have people you can laugh with, that you can have dinner with, that you can even have go on vacation with. I have five uh, friends. Uh, I'm married. My Of course, my husband and I go out to, to eat together and on vacation, but I have five friends that I also get together with and we go on vacations. We all went to Puerto Rico a few months back just for kind of a girl's getaway. You need that. And if you think you don't, you're being deceived. You are a human being that has the need for friendship. And you need those friends that that you know what, Brent? The friend, you need friends that when you're out to dinner, they don't look to you and say, Would you open us up in prayer? That, like one of them, just opens up and that says grace over the meal, you know? And so yeah, <laughs> those yeah, are the kind of friends you yeah, need.
0: Another feeling, <laughs> though. Yes, I frequently get asked to say grace, and then I get criticised because the grace is too short. And I say, "Well, the food is getting cold. The food looks wonderful. It's a great gift of God. Let's hoe into it." <laughs> That's considered <laughs> deeply unspiritual where I come from. But too bad. Um, now, <laughs> lots and oh gosh, I could ask you so many questions, Doctor. With so much, in w- the fear of public speaking. Now, there, there's a there's a subject that you deal with. Um, what to do? What's your advice to a woman or a man in ministry who has a fear of public speaking? What can we do about it to help them?
1: Yeah. So first of all, even if we're feeling afraid, a something sort of way, we're feeling fear, we do it afraid. We do it anyway. We don't let fear stop us. We don't let fear make decisions for us. A. B, when we speak, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. When the essence of fear is self. Fear is very self-based. It's me based. So if I'm afraid, my eyes are squarely on me. And so I would say to your listener, if you have a fear of public speaking, do it anyway, but keep your eyes on the Lord as you're doing it and not on yourself and not even on the people. I mean, physically your eyes are on the people for sure. You're scanning the room. There's a whole technique for that. But what did God tell Jeremiah when Jeremiah he asked Jeremiah to preach a very hard message? And Jeremiah's like, oh, my goodness, the people are not, are not going to have a good reaction. And God tells Jeremiah, don't look at their faces, meaning they're happy, they're sad, they're glad, they're amen, or they're booing you off the stage. Doesn't matter. You speak what I tell you to speak.
0: Yes. Now, you're one of these amazing people that have a traveling ministry, I've known a few traveling ministers and preachers in my time. I've always had immense admiration. It must be tough. It'd be like being on tour, I suppose. What are what are the, some of the problems you've personally encountered in, in your traveling ministry?
1: Uh, first of all, I love to travel. I love traveling. I love going away and I love coming home. I love them both. I would say problems I encounter would be mm, not not talking about expectations before the trip. Like before you ever leave for the ministry trip, you need to have a really solid conversation with the the host or the pastor of the church that you're speaking at. What are your expectations, pastor? You know, how long would you have me speak? I have found that the, that we can get ourselves in, in trouble if we don't know what the expectations are. So then we don't know what, then we don't meet them and it can go you know start going downhill from there. So I would say that's one of the biggest problems.
0: Mm. Final question probably. How important is it how important is it to set boundaries in ministry for women and and indeed for men? Oh,
1: it's so important, so important. I mean, I the scripture in the Bible that says avoid all appearances of evil, you know, helps me set boundaries. So like I'll give you an example. I, I personally, I don't drink. So um, and maybe your listeners do, but I don't. And so if I'm out in a restaurant, I'm very careful. Like if there's a Heineken sign behind me, cause I'm in a restaurant that has a bar, I'm not going to post that picture on Facebook. Mm-hmm. If, if there's a man, like some, a lot of times, cause I travel alone a lot. Somebody will say, Oh, let me get your picture with the pastor. Now it's me and a guy. Now there's nothing going on, obviously, but again, avoid all appearances of evil. So I try to pull somebody into the picture. Just very, just be cognizant that that um, things can be misconstrued.
0: Really? Never? Surely it never happens?
1: Never. (laughs) Never. 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 never, never.
0: Okay, this is the final question. I've still got time. How do we stay the course? How do you stay the course
1: in ministry? Yeah, such a good question. Number one, I have an eternal mindset, meaning that no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through, Jesus is worth it all. Like a, like winning souls is worth it all. The other thing that causes me to have any to have a, a, a resilience in ministry is the day that we become Christians, we voluntarily enlist in the army of God. Like voluntarily, like we're, nobody's forcing us to, we do. And when we do, we are joining the army of God and there is an enemy and we're in a war and we go from battle to battle to battle. And so, oh, this is too hard. This is too much. Well, we enlisted and no cost too great for Jesus, first of all. And the um, advancing the kingdom is our, you know, when we're about the business of the kingdom of God, he's about our business. We're always going to be going through a struggle personally, with our kids, our finances, our health. And if we let Things like that stop us from putting one foot in front of the other. We'll never accomplish anything for the Lord. And I see it all the time.
0: Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Dr. Jamie Morgan and her new book with Bridge Logos Publishers uh, in the States is called Her Calling, A Woman's Guide to Fulfilling Her God-Given Destiny. Wonderful for women, also wonderful for men. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned heaps from it. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for your time. And thank you to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes, including me. (laughs) Dr. Morgan, thank you so much.
1: Grant, thank you for having me. Truly a pleasure.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash God Story Podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash God Story Podcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website,
1: godstorypodcast.com.